It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. You know, I couldn't be more excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Ann Miller. You know, she's an expert in the use of words that help you sell. She's a speaker, coach, and author of books, including Metaphorically Selling and The Tall Lady with the Iceberg, The Power of Metaphor to Sell, Persuade, and Explain Anything. You know, while it's often true that actions speak louder than words, that is not always the case in sales. You know, action without value or action without content is meaningless. And as I've written about my own books, in today's hyper-competitive markets where products and services are often perceived to be interchangeable commodities by buyers, the first meaningful line of differentiation is the sales rep. And in those moments when the customer is waiting for you to open your mouth and say something, what you say and how you say it will make a big difference in your ability to win the order. And my guest today, Ann Miller, is going to share some tips about how to become more effective and persuasive seller. So Ann, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about you. How did you get into this field and how did you get into becoming an expert with persuasive well, language? I'm one of those people who has a checkered career. I started out as a teacher, left after a couple of years and had odd jobs on Wall Street of all places, quite by accident. Wound up working at a magazine that fed Wall Street and selling advertising. And that mm-hmm. was second sales job. And then someone took me to a seminar. And I said, wow, that's what I want to be doing. So I moved into the training and speaking industry early on and have been in it for a number of years. And as for the metaphors, I was running a program on presentation skills. And during the course of the program, I mentioned how metaphors and analogies and stories are very powerful ways to get your message across. And one of the women in the class, it was Business Week, she said to me, is there a book on this? And I looked at her and I said, not yet. (laughs) Give me a few months and we'll get that taken care of. Well, you know, I've always been interested in language. I was an English major. I was an English teacher. And I could always write well. And I thought, this is really an important area to focus on for precisely the reasons you said earlier, that things are becoming so competitive and so commoditized and people have such short attention spans that if you don't say things effectively, then you lose people. Uh, I think it was Lee Iacocca who said, you can have great ideas, but if you can't communicate them, you don't have anything. Right. I totally agree with that. And I think that increasingly, again, in this, when people are distracted and, and really busy and they're giving you some of their time, you know, if you don't take advantage of that, if you don't create that powerful first perception that you know, draws them to you, then you're not going to get any more of their time. You you have wasted your opportunity. So, what I like about what you're doing, and that's why I want to really delve into it, is that I think too often people, salespeople, are sort of relying on technology or a process or something to help them. But the fact is that if they really want to make a difference in the results, they need to focus on those things that are really under their direct control. And 
you know, certainly product knowledge is under their direct control. They can invest in learning about sales. They can read books. They can learn about customers they're selling to in the marketplaces they serve. And language is certainly one of those areas that's under their direct control that they can improve it. Absolutely. And I always say that people make choices about what, you know, you make choices every day, what to wear, where you're going to go, but people don't think about the choices they make when they speak. A lot of people I see just regurgitate facts and features and, and this is how we do it and this is our history and these are our clients and aren't we wonderful and they're on this sort of automatic uh, you know, little track that, the track that they're on. Sorry about that. Track well, it's, that they're on. Yeah, it's, it's sort of indel indelicately called show up and throw up. Exactly. They don't think. They don't think. I always say engage mind first before math. They don't think. And then they sound like everybody else and they wonder why they don't get the business. So what is the key? Because, again, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. I've spent a good portion of my second book writing about this. Mm -hmm. How do you get people to think? Okay. Well, it's not so much how to get them to think. I mean, it is to get them to think. But first you have to get them to see what you're talking about. You know, there's so much being written now about neuroscience and what it's discovering about the brain. And when I read this stuff, I just laugh because all this neuroscience stuff is simply validating what mankind has known since the beginning of time, from the cavemen on the walls to Aristotle to Aesop's fables to the Bible. People relate to visuals, to stories, to analogies, to metaphors. And if you can get them to see something first, then they understand it, and then you can go into greater depth. The brain is very visual. It loves metaphors and analogies. It's like I call it brain candy. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the great examples, have you seen the new movie, The Big Short? Not yet, no. Oh, good movie. Go yes. See Everyone Read the book, but I haven't seen the movie. Well, it's a perfect example of what I'm saying. The movie deals with subprime mortgages, synthetic mortgages, CDOs, really complex financial instruments. And how do they explain it? Well, there's one great scene, and I'm not spoiling this for anybody, where I think it's Ryan Gosling comes in and he is explaining why the subprime market's going to go to hell in a handbasket. And he uses a series of blocks, like a building. And the top floors are AAA-rated bonds, and the bottom floors are the cheap junk bonds, you know, B, B-minus bonds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it begins to pull out a block at a time from the bottom. Well, if you pull out one block, nothing much happens. If you pull out two blocks, nothing much happens. But it doesn't take too long before you pull out enough blocks, the entire building collapses. And that's why, and that's how he uses, uh, that's how he explains why the subprime market is going to die. Because it only looks like it's good from the top floors, but it's really rotten to the core. I know I'm mixing my metaphors here. <laughs> but it's a great example of how to explain something complex, how to simplify it. And the result is that you get other people to act on that. Once somebody understands that, then they can take action. Sure, but the issue about thinking that I was talking about is how do you get salespeople to think? It's not, I know you want to get the customer to see, but as you, as you describe the problem, you know, salespeople, they show up, they throw up. And again, we're talking about some number of not uniformly everybody. 
but the key is they have to be aware of, of the actions they're taking are deliberately doing something, right? I'm going to be deliberate about my use of language. How do, how do you work with salespeople to get them to reach that point where they're thoughtful and mindful about the words they're using? Well, if you say to somebody, I have this new gidget. It's a really great gidget. You'd love it. You have no idea what I'm talking about, right? But if I say, and I want you to invest in this gidget, it's fantastic. And I go on and on about this gidget. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But if I say, I have this new gidget, and it's just like an iPhone, or it's just as exciting as an iPad, well, suddenly you wake up, right? You get it. Because you have associations with an iPhone and an iPad that are pretty positive. So while you may not understand everything about this gidget, now you're willing to listen to me because I tap something inside you. And the way to get salespeople to, I mean, you just say that to salespeople. The way to get salespeople to focus on what they're saying is to tell them, look, you're supposed to focus so much on your clients. Your bosses tell you know their industry, know their business, know their challenges. But you also have to know how people think, how they process information. And that has to factor into what you say. So the more visual you can be, the more you can help the other person see in their minds what you're seeing so clearly in your minds, the greater the chance you have to make your sale. So the metaphors, the analogies, the stories, they build common ground for understanding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if you, I give people a couple of examples that are really simple to get because I have to model what I'm selling, right? <laughs> so... Um, I know most people have been in this situation where they would like to get someone to test their product, right? Test right. their product. You're happy with who you're seeing. That's that, try my product. And the buyer says, no, 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 we're very happy. Oh, but you'll love my product. Try my product. No, 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 we're very happy. So the buyer has this block. He sees that he's pretty satisfied. He's not really seeing what you're talking about. One of the best analogies that people have used is to say, look, let me ask you a question. Um, do you play tennis? Or you've seen the game of tennis played? Or golf? Yes. Okay. So let's say it was tennis, right? And as a salesperson, you could say, look, you know, you can play a pretty good game of tennis with a strong forehand. What you do is you run around the backhand, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone who plays tennis will say yes, because that's true. But you say, then the salesperson would say something like, but you know, when you have a strong backhand, you improve your game exponentially. Isn't that true? Yeah, that's true. Well, that's what we're saying here. Your strong forehand right now is the vendor that you're using. Add us. Give us let us be your backhand. Give us the test. Let us be your backhand. And we will make you much stronger in your market and help grow your bottom line. Now, for someone who plays tennis, that makes sense. Because they can see from their past experience the truth of what I've just said. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. And so So you're always thinking, what do what can I compare what I'm trying to get across to the person I'm talking to? What do I know about them? 
about their industry, about their history, about their life, about their hobbies? Where can I com pull a comparison that will resonate with you, the buyer? And once you do that, you're 90% of the way there. Well, part of it maybe, it seems like to me, is for the sales rep to start with the things they know about, right? As you said, tennis or golf. I mean, you want to relate to the, the customer, but... Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say to you, do you sail? It's a sailing analogy because I don't sail, and I'm sure I would muck it up. But tennis, golf, I mean, I don't, even, I don't play golf, but I know there are different irons, the different clubs that people hit with, right? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, there's a wood and there's an iron and... <laughs> I could do the same thing. You wouldn't play an entire game of golf with just one type of club, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Same thing. So you just pull in the analogy with the other club and you get the test. Um, I think one of the best ones uh, I've ever done and one that I think a lot of salespeople come across is the, the no experience. You know, you're, really, you're nice people and all that, but you have no experience with our industry. Would you say that's a pretty common objection that people sometimes come across? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the business you're in. If you're a startup, perhaps, and you're coming up with a new innovative product, yeah, you may run across that. Exactly. So years ago, I used this one, and it really worked. I know other people have used it since. So I, I was pitching to an advertising agency uh, to get their presentation training for all their account executives, and they specifically wanted someone who had an advertising agency in their client portfolio. And I didn't have one, but I got the business. Because I knew if I just stood there and said, I'm terrific, I'm wonderful, my mother loves me, you should hire me, they would never hire me. Because they were mentally blocked by that criteria, uh, criterion of you had to have an agency in your background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I thought about that for a couple of days, and I came back and I did my tap dance, and the woman says to me, she was an executive vice president, she said to me, yes, but you have no experience in our industry. And I was ready for her. And I said, let me ask you a question. You just won the DHL overnight courier account, didn't you? She said, yes. And I said, how much experience did you have to have in the overnight courier business to have the right to do their advertising? Let me suggest none. That you would learn the dynamics of their industry the way you've learned the dynamics of your other client industries. They just had to be sure you were the best damn advertising agency around. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? And she looked at me. She said, yes. I said, the same is true with me. I don't have to have advertising agencies in my background. I have the military. I have financial. I have media. I have professional service companies in my background. Okay? You just have to be sure that I'm the best damn presentation consultant around. I'll learn the dynamics of your industry the way I did the, the others very quickly. But you have to be sure I'm the best darn presentation person around. And I am. And she just looked at me, cocked her head, and said, oh. And you could just see the light bulb went on. And the prerequisite <laughs> for having an agency in your background went out the window. And I was really modeling what I was selling, basically. Mm-hmm. And I got it. And they were a client for years, maybe thousands of dollars with them. So it's a matter of stopping and saying, how can I get them to see the situation 
in a way that they can embrace, that resonates with them, that's comfortable with them. And you don't have to be a poet. You just have to stop and think. Make it visual, as you talked about. Make it visual. And yeah. that's true. I'm, I'm pretty loose to what I mean by metaphor. It can be an analogy. Right. It can be a story that you use metaphorically. You know, let me tell you a story. And then you tell the story and you say, likewise, and you make your link to the situation. It can be a cartoon. It can be a prop. Anything that makes the other person see, that right brain see, what you're talking about. So let's delve into a little bit today that the now at this point is the sort of that face-to-face conversation as well as as well as the presentation because the dynamic of selling in, in many industries is really changing right you've got sales to teams of sales de- sales development reps that are out working the phones and email to outbound prospecting to really sell that next meeting sell that demo oftentimes right so they've gone online yeah I, well, I came <laughs> not to date myself but all my demos were in person early on in my career before they changed to being online. But but what changes relative to the vocabulary that you should use, um, the language you should use, when you're presenting and demonstrating online versus in person? Okay. I, the fact that people are more remote now online makes the need for language, visual language, even more important. Because all people have is what they can hear. And what they're looking at, they're looking at some kind of software demonstration, they're looking at some kind of product demonstration, and it's just a lot of, you know, slides or screenshots. One looks like the next, looks like the next, looks like the next. But people remember visually. So if you have a compelling metaphor or a compelling analogy that you use, where you can say, what this represents basically is, and then you give them an image, a metaphor, they get it. They don't have to understand every single dot point on that page. So it's really even more important that people communicate with visual language in an era when people are doing more and more inside sales, online sales. And does it, when you take body language out of the equation, how does that have an impact as well? Oh, it hurts. It hurts. You're so right. I mean, one of the things you teach people when you do presentation training, at least on the delivery side, is that they should be very comfortable using their hands because the hands reinforce what you're saying. So if you're saying there are three reasons why you would work with us, one, two, three, typically you would use your fingers to count. And people see that. So they're hearing it, there are three reasons, and they're seeing it. They're getting two sensory impressions. But when you're speaking online, all they're doing is hearing it. (laughs) They're not really seeing you reinforce that. So, and they don't see facial expression, they don't see excitement, they don't see concern, they don't see empathy. So you've got to be as visual as possible and as involving as possible when you're doing online presentations. So, maybe two questions to come out of that. Now there's more video for the virtual presentations. And they also, though, tend to be fairly static. And, you know, what are you seeing in terms of sort of best practices when you've got these 
you know, desktop to desktop, screen to screen presentations where you're actually seeing the person is sometimes where the motions that you might do in person maybe aren't appropriate for when you're remote like that. You mean when they're seeing each other, like you and I could see each other? Yeah. Well, you still need to use your, your I mean, it depends how much they're seeing. If they're just seeing a face, it doesn't really do very much. Mm-hmm. They're seeing all of you. You still want to gesture. And when you're online and they don't see you, even when they do see you, you really should use your hands in gesturing. What they tell you to do when you're on telephone also. Because when you don't gesture, your voice tends to go down into a monotone and you don't even know it. Right. So even though someone can't see you, you should be using your hands to make your points because it will add natural inflection to the voice. I thought you were asking me something else. No, but this is that was really the question because I I you know, both on phone and and whether it's a Skype or Zoom or whatever you're using yeah, use your hands, right? Oh, That's one of the great things about uh, having headsets when you're on your phone and you're talking to somebody is get your headset on so you free up your hands absolutely. and it makes a difference in how you come across. Right. And you even have to exaggerate a little bit your voice as well. Uh, it's like when you play a sport. You go out on the field and your energy level goes way up. Even if you're tired, your energy level goes way, way up once you're in play. And so it's the same thing as in an in-person presentation, but even more so when you're online the way we are. A little more energy, a little more oomph to what you're saying. Which exactly. Which coming across from both of us. Yeah, well, my hands are, are waving as we talk. Waving. waving. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about storytelling because this is really an intimidating topic to a lot of salespeople. You know, we're going to try to teach you how to integrate storytelling into your presentations. And as I've spent time teaching people this, and there's a lot of resistance, a lot of fear, let's say. Maybe not resistance, but fear from it. So what's your approach to, as you said, turning in, turning information that tells into a story that sells, which I think is your line. Right. Yeah. So how do, how do you go about that? Right. I think... I have some different views on storytelling. Um, I've looked at a number of things on storytelling where people start out telling their stories. And, you know, it's like you have kids, I have kids. Let me ask you a question, Andy. Which children's pictures would you rather look at? Pictures of your kids or pictures of my kids? <laughs> uh, mine, yes. Exactly. That's my point. So I have a problem with some of these storytelling uh, experts who say, tell a story about something that happened to you, and it's going to lead up to a point that's re relevant to what you're selling. Now, the good news is whatever story you tell should lead up to the point that you're making. But frankly, and maybe this is just my jaded New Yorker view, I really don't want to hear your story, Andy. <laughs> I don't care about you. <laughs> well, so let's define a story then. The story I want to hear is the kind of work you did for another account that was just like mine. Exactly. The kind of story I want to hear. Exactly. Not the other kind of story. So I don't know if I've offended you. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that is, you haven't offended me. Maybe somebody out there that's listening, but if you look at my latest book, I've got a whole section on how do you tell a 30 second story that does just what you said? 
Ah, uh, exactly. Um, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I mean customers don't, they don't I mean, prospects can, don't have an unlimited appetite for listening to you talk. So no, they don't. the stories as, as you one of the reasons to use metaphors and analogies is it's a way to more quickly convey information that people can quickly understand. And I used the metaphor with you, right, when I asked you about the kids. Whose kids would you rather look, pictures you'd rather look at? And I think I made my point very quickly. No one wants to hear, I mean, there's some people, you know, all those amiable people who might want to hear about your life story. But given what we said at, this, at the top of this uh, interview, that people have very little attention uh, spans, they're pressed for time, Unless you're having lunch with them or you're at a cocktail party. If you're in a business situation, I think most people really would like to hear stories that are only relevant to what their issues are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was uh, I, I never get this quote exactly right, but a, a saying from John Steinbeck saying that, you know, unless you're telling a story that's about the listener, they really don't have time to listen. Exactly. That's a very good quote. I hadn't heard that one. I'm going to steal it. Well, I can get you the exact quote later on. That's a, that was a very abbreviated and uh, abridged edition. Right. So how do you get people then to, to practice the story? So what's the structure to create a story in a short, concise form that you teach that, mm -hmm. that salespeople can use? I, let me answer that question in a slightly different way. I always tell people when they're presenting and they're in the middle of their presentation, not in the beginning and not at the end, but in the middle, and they're going through their slides, their screens, their, or just talking the different points, you should always be asking yourself four questions. One, what is the point of what I'm saying? My mouth is going on and on and on. What is the point here? Two, how can I make them see what I'm talking about? And by that, is it a story? Is it an analogy? Is it an example? Three, how can I involve them? And four, how am I going to segue into my next point? So those questions are always going through your mind. And the really great presenters are always being relevant, visual, engaging, and flowing, flowing into their next point. And your storyline is in the transitions between points. So it's, the, it's expressions like, not only do you get X, but also you can get Y, and that takes you to the next slide. Or, and if you like this, the story gets even better when you look at how easy it is to implement. So for me, a storyline is the thread that connects all your pieces of information. But that has to be practiced. That has to be yeah. scripted. That was my point, is how do you, how do you, how do you get people to script out their stories and practice them, and practice them? And I may say, look, all I have to do is tell people to do it, and they do it, but it's not quite that simple, right? The concept is you practice. You, could put, you put your, screen, your, your um, shots together, your slides together. Okay. So it's done in layers, like a cake. The first thing is, you know, assemble your information, put it in the order you think that's right. Make sure you have an introduction that engages and that's worth a whole other program. And a summary that locks it up. But in the middle, say to yourself, okay, I'm talking about this on the first slide. Okay, how am I going to get to the next slide? What's the logic here? 
If there's no logic, that means the next slide is either in the wrong place or you don't need it. So they have to look at the whole presentation and slide sort. That's one of the best things about technology is slide sort, because you can move things around. You have to say, what is the connection here? How, what, what is the link? And if there is none, make it or get rid of the slide. Uh, but you have to do that in advance of the actual meeting, the actual presentation. You can't do it on the fly. No, and you actually have to practice out loud, not just in your head, practice out loud what you're going to say. Exactly. I was just doing some coaching for a financial institution where they were speaking to their clients, their annual client meeting of investors. Mm -hmm. And they had all their slides. And that's what we did. You know, the headlines were terrible. What was the point that belonged on the headline, on the slide? You know, you're moving from this slide to sli this slide, but what's the connection? Why am I moving there with you? What, do you, what are you trying to say? Yeah. So it's really stepping back and looking at the thread of your storyline and making sure it makes sense. And then practice, practice. practice practice right. Right. yeah I mean you, there's you can never have too much practice almost for a right. presentation and if it's been a while since you've given it you really have to double down and practice again don't assume that you remember the flow or that you remember your cues moving from one one part of your story to the next it's it right. it needs to be coherent and you need to practice it make sure it flows you know that Steve Jobs was reputed to have spent hours and hours practicing before yeah. a presentation. Sure. The reason why he was effective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was charismatic and incredibly bright, but yeah, at the end of the day, when you're talking about giving a presentation, you practice. you practice it. That's what makes it good. Yeah, and I really feel sorry for salespeople because I think they take their cue from sales managers, and a lot of sales managers just don't have that as, a, as a, a standard practice, where we practice before we go in for a big meeting, or we practice um, our demos to make sure that they are really flowing and effective, because they see that as a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. Well, so, yeah, here's a question that, that has to be asked and answered for every presentation, every demo, every sales interaction with a prospect is, you know, what, what value am I delivering that's going to enable them to move at least one step closer to making a decision? And if I can't identify these, these sources of value and the information that I'm presenting, then, yeah, I got to go back and rework my story so that they're there. Right. Because yeah. otherwise, it's a colossal waste of time for the prospect. And as you had mentioned earlier, you know, every interaction is being judged and... You know, that's you're not going to be judged well, and you're going to lose momentum and lose perhaps the opportunity even to deal with the prospect. Yeah. Let me give your listeners a little tip. I find that many people think that their value, their message, is the agenda. And we'll be covering the following three things. Or their message is three features of their particular software or product. And that, of course, is not the value. Those are simply features of it. Mm-hmm. But if they could make themselves imagine that they're at the end of the presentation or demo, and they're saying, so in summary, Andy, the key thing to remember is, very often, when they finish that sentence, 
they'll be closer to the value mm -hmm. <laughs> they were at the beginning. And then they can take whatever they say at that point and plug it into the beginning so that somebody listening is li listening for a proof statement of that value as someone goes through it. But very few people really, really give value. Their message tends to be a list of features. That's a great tip. Start at the end. Start at the end. Excellent. I like it. All right, good. Well, so now we're going to go into the last segment of the show. I've got some questions for you, so rapid-fire questions. You can give me a one-word answer. Actually, the first one you have to give a more elaborate answer, but after that you can give me a one-word answer. So here's the first question. So a hypothetical scenario. You've been hired as a new sales manager at a company whose sales have stalled out. And senior managers are really anxious for things to turn around in a hurry. What two things would you do on your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? As the new sales manager? Yep. I would do two things. I would talk to all my salespeople to find out where they thought the issues were, what the problems were. And I would talk to two or three of our clients who love us and ask them why they bought from us and two or three clients who didn't buy from us and ask them why they didn't buy from us. Good, concise answer. I like it. All right. So you sell a lot. You're selling your services. So what personal sales attribute is the most powerful one in your arsenal? I think it's the willingness to simply understand someone else's problems or issues to see if I can help and to be willing to say that maybe I can help. Now, of course, I always like to think I can help, but it's really just being totally focused on the other person's situation and speaking to them as if I were on the same side of the table with them as opposed to across the table and what's in the middle of the table between us is their budget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has to be what's on the table of their problems, their issues, their growth, and we talk as peers working on the same side of the desk. All right. Same side selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's actually a book by that name out there. So who's your sales role model? Who's my sales role model? Wow. I've had a few of them over the years. Well, oh, give us one. Work for. Um, my old manager, when I sold advertising, he was a genius. He always knew that you had to come in with ideas and that people were interested in ideas. They weren't interested in advertising or products. It was always ideas. It took me a while until I got that, because I would always call up and say, I want to talk about advertising. And then I was surprised when no one wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I, I had some ideas to talk to them about to help them with their business. I had much better luck. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was Fred. Got it. So besides your own books, what's one book every salesperson should read? Well, there are a number of them. I like Joe Conrad's books. Mm -hmm. So one in, one in particular? Uh, snap Selling is fine. Her earlier one, or the Agile Selling. Mm -hmm. She's very good. Yeah, very good. Very good. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? Unfortunately, I check my emails. See, everybody prefaces that with unfortunately. It's okay. <laughs> I know that everybody's sort of thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to be criticized because I check my email first thing. But yeah, that's okay. I email and I check LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. 
So what's the one question? This is your last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? What's the secret? How can I be a great presenter? And the answer is? There is no secret. You just have to understand what's going on. And then once you understand it, you can make it happen also. Okay, perfect. Well, good. I want to thank you for being on the show today. My guest has been Ann Miller. Ann, how can people learn more about you? Website is www.annmiller.com. And Ann is spelled with an E. There's a blog and there's a metaphor newsletter that they can sign up for. And the book is available on Amazon. Uh, the Tall Lady with the Iceberg is the updated version of Metaphorically Selling. So it's The Tall Lady with the Iceberg on Amazon. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I recommend people go out and get that book. So remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Ann Miller, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.